Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Reese. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And good morning there. This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and uh, thanks for tuning in to another uh, week of American Tennis. We're so glad to be back on. And uh, I want to thank Coach J.P. Weber, first of all, for getting helping me with the computer stuff to get this all back and rolling. I always ask him, do I need to dump the American tennis uh, song there? A good friend, a long time ago, Jason Haynes, I want to thank you for uh, uh, starting the network and everything and getting it going. But uh, he, he you put that in there, and uh, we, we're, we're going to stick by it for a while. JP likes it. Coach JP likes it, and, and I'm going to hang in there with this. But it's American Tennis. We're back, and we have got a good program for you this morning. If we can hit all the points here, uh, I've got a great help from uh, Coach uh, Pete Bauer here, and I, I have down uh, coach, teacher, parent, and uh, – all of the above 40 years of it, and uh, I'm gonna before I get him on here, I gotta gotta just give him some, um, you know, as far as enthusiasm, um, you know, goes. And we anybody that coaches, teaches, or parent, we have to have nonstop enthusiasm. That's deeper than just commitment. It's deeper than just being compliant. It is about you know your heart being involved every day, every day, every day, and and I know that Pete has this forty years of coaching. Uh, gosh, three sons played tennis. Two of them got to play Division One college tennis. And any time I have a, um, any time I get a youngster to be able to come to our school, and and over the years, over the forty six years I've been coaching. I always tell the parents, you really have no idea how fortunate you are with the, with the just the what's going on out there, and with the level that you have to be, and and then the the very slim odds you have of getting a scholarship for sure, but also just to be able to play on a collegiate team these days. And we're, we're going to talk about this. I, he's the perfect guy to have on the program today. Because we're gonna we're gonna dive into some of those things we always talk about. You know, I always say, say the things that need to be said. Jump in there, address issues, not people. Stay professional. Nobody can find fault. And the disclaimer here: Look, folks, we know what's going on in our world, and and most people don't go any further than cliches and facts like what's going on how are you what's going on today hey you doing well hey guess what the university of georgia won that football game or uh hey this is what happened cliches and facts when we go to opinion a little deeper people get scared and they run off we're not discussing ideas we're not discussing things that need to be discussed so we're being taken in a direction just out of our fear, but there is a line we don't want to cross, and uh, you don't want to address people. 
you know, key, don't get personal, just address issues, but you stay professional. And it's more important to win over people's minds and hearts than to just get your way. And I absolutely wanted to say that as we go into this, because we're going to be talking about a lot in uh, the program today. Let me see if I got Coach Pete. Hey, Pete, are you on there? I got you. I I am, Coach. Thank you. <laughs> okay, gosh. Now, thank you. Thank you, first of all, for taking an hour. I hope, hey, listen, maybe we could keep her going here. We could probably talk three or four or five hours here. But uh, you are the best guy I can ever think of to help on these topics. Not just do I want to talk about I've got here I've got here as a topic uh college recruiting the lifeline, not just a helping hand, not just a um the thing we need, but the lifeline. Not just springboard. There's no springboard. It's the lifeline now of American tennis. And I put here the in no other area does as much opportunity exist for development of coaches and players as in collegiate tennis. However, this is a period of time that wisdom and great forward thinking is critical. With so much change taking place, Pete, in all of the college sports, we're talking about the NIL transfer portal, the way they're messing with tennis, and I call it dumbed-down tennis scoring. And that's a whole different topic we could talk about. But they're making it more abbreviated. And all these things going on, this has to be discussed, Pete. This has to be discussed. So we're going in some dangerous territory. We've got to go out on the thin ice here, but we can't fall in. So anyhow, that being said, did I get your back did I get your background right, Pete, with, with everything? I know you're from South Bend, Indiana, you're a fellow Hoosier, so you probably like me, uh played a lot more basketball growing up than, than tennis, but could you talk about yourself a little bit in the background? Because you are the perfect guy. You've had parents. You as a parent, you've got your kids in the college. You've been in at Georgia, which is the hotbed of tennis in the South. Alta and everything is the most competitive area. And you've seen the thing from start to finish for over 40 years. So I'm going to leave it there. Go ahead and talk about your background a little bit, and then we'll dive in there. Well, well, you're you're correct about South and Indiana. And uh, I was lucky to be raised in that great city because it's uh, – what I like to call the heartland of America. Uh, great people, great opportunities for everyone. And uh, my parents were, or my father was in the RV industry. And I'll, I say that for a reason uh, because I know what we're, one of our topics is later on in the show, and it will, uh, it will come back to fruition uh, or come back around, shall I say. I played collegiately at Miami University in Ohio for Coach Frederick, who I know you know. And um, that was such a treat. And then uh, from there, college tennis actually was a springboard for me to get into law school, which ultimately brought me down to uh, Georgia to practice law for a couple of years. And I decided to start my own company. Um, I do have three boys. All were nationally ranked and went through the system. Uh, unfortunately, my oldest uh, got tired of it um, around 15 and a half, 16 and I learned from that as well as being a parent and a coach. Uh, so uh, a lot that he uh, experienced helped me develop as a coach and as a parent along the way. And uh, he's, he's a big reason. I think I have my two youngest, uh, one who graduated and played for Georgia Tech, for Coach Kenny Thorne, and is now in the business world almost going on three years, and another who's playing for Coach Kenny Thorne at Georgia Tech who's a sophomore on the team. And, uh, I mean, I couldn't have done it, and they couldn't have done it and had these opportunities if it wasn't for the great sport of tennis. And so uh, I'm about one of the biggest advocates you're going to have when it comes to hitting that yellow ball over the net. Pete, let me ask a quick question. Oldest children, it's the parents out there. You know, I study a lot of stuff on birth order, but our oldest are the flag bearers. They're the hardest ones. They're the ones that get shot at the most. With my oldest son, when he came to camp the first time, he was a 10-year-old. We made him make goals. His goal, three goals for the week were this, I promise you, don't hit balls over the fence. Don't, don't make mistakes. Don't embarrass Dad. Okay, <laughs> and I, I remember saying, oh, boy, he's going to have a great time here. But the 
could you speak to that a little bit? I mean, you know, uh, the, the oldest son has the most pressure. It's really funny. The oldest girl I've found are the usually the ones that achieve more, the eldest girl. They're more achievement-oriented. The boys feel like they're getting shot at a lot different. Is there, is there different? What are your thoughts on that real quick before we get into our topic? Well, I, I think you're 100% right. I mean, I think the, the, the oldest boy, or at least my son, paved the way. And I, he kind of cleared the path and taught me. Uh, you know, I've, even though I know the sport of tennis, I don't know everything about the sport of tennis. I learned from him. You know, it's just how a child hears a parent say something. And it could be nice shot, meaning they hit a nice shot, or they could think you're being sarcastic saying, oh, nice shot. And so I, I noticed at times uh, I could get stung by a bee, let's say, and make a grimace, and if he looks over and sees me, he thinks he's done something wrong and I'm not a I agree. So I, I think uh, for tennis parents out there, because uh, I coach a lot of juniors, as you know, uh, it's very, very important to just remember, keep it fun. Uh, I always say to parents when, when and I coach an awful lot of kids, as you know, and I have over the years, when the kids come back and say, oh, I got in trouble, I lost, and it's an earful in the car, and it's miserable, blah, 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 blah. And I always say to parents, if your, your child didn't scream and yell and act like an idiot on the court, if your child didn't cheat on the court, and if your child didn't tank, not try on the court, they did the best they could that day. And that's when they need a hug the most. That's when they need your love the most. And if you don't give them the love, what you're going to do is push them out of the sport because this is a very difficult sport. Uh, and I say to them, this is the only sport, and Chuck, I don't know if I've told you this or my theory on this is tennis is the only sport that I can think of that doesn't have a barometer in which to judge your performance by. Yeah. And what I mean by that is if, if you and I go out and play golf, you could shoot, I could shoot 70 and you could shoot 69 and I'm still going to buy lunch because I just shot 70. Or if I ran my fastest mile ever but came in last place, I still had a personal best. How do you, how do you gauge tennis? How do you measure tennis other than wins and losses? And so it's already a very difficult sport mentally on these kids and emotionally on these kids. So I think it's, it's, you know, what I've learned, it's important to keep it in proper perspective because that's how losing is not a bad thing. As, as my business partner, Matt Villander will say, losing is how you learn. Um, I think it's very important to sit there and, and realize uh, as parents, we're not doing any favors by scolding our kids for losing a tennis match. Without a doubt, couldn't have been said better. A lot, lot of wisdom there. All I'm telling you is my, <laughs> my. But I try to keep it fun for my daughter sometimes or my son. They said, you know, they go, Papa, you're always coaching us. You're always coaching. And I said, No, 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 no. I'm trying to do that. That I'm trying to put on that uh, dad baseball cap instead of the coach. And I've I've seen enough. But it's a tough one out there. Uh, parents and uh, you know and and that's great wisdom from you, Pete. And we would absolutely need to do a program on that one sometime uh, about parenting champions or whatever, because some people do it great and some people. Most parents I know who try to coach their own kids. Oh my golly, it's 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 a tough one. It's a tough one. You got to stay parent first. But anyhow, let me tell you where I'd like to go with this today, Pete. College tennis. You're very familiar with what's going on from the recruiting angle as your sons were recruiting got to play at one of the premier programs in the united states a power five conference what do you want to say but also one of the greatest coaches and most wonderful human beings there is in kenny thorne so you got that tutelage for over a thousand days for your first hand for your for your boys and uh so that's that's a tough one we now have a situation, and I've got to address this. We've got a lot going on. I want to talk a little bit. Toward, I want to spend some minutes talking about the international recruiting and where we're at with that. And I want to address this, but I want to address it in the right way. And nobody here's the, it's not a disclaimer. It's a fact. Nobody is against international players and international coaches. 
without Harry Hopman, the great Australian coach, getting to work for him, I'd have never been in tennis. I was trying to coach high school basketball any way, anywhere I could, and I got to work for him. But we all know the, the daggone contributions, wonderful contributions, Dennis Vandermeer. So many South Africans also, South Africa have had so many good coaches. And, uh, you know, and you can go on and on and on with the great contributions of so many uh, wonderful, wonderful uh, coaches and players and things of international students. I've got former players, some of my former international players from around the around the world call me, you know, on Christmas or my birthdays and stuff. So it has nothing to do with that. But we have a an issue that we have to address, uh, Pete, and we need to talk about it because right now, no matter how they pad the numbers, the ITA pads the numbers, no matter how they pad it, it's about 80% of the starting lineups in collegiate tennis are from, from overseas, from international students. Now, I want to give you a quick background, and then I'm going to want your two cents on this. Nobody's against it. Nobody's okay, but I'm going back 60 years ago, probably to the 60s. I remember reading an article, Dennis Ralston wins the NCAAs for Southern Cal in mid-June. We used to get to play a lot, and it was a tournament, and he won the NCAAs. Then he flew to Wimbledon. And he was runner-up in doubles there and ended up being a great Grand Slam champion, coach, and so on and so forth. John McEnroe. John McEnroe makes semifinals of the Wimbledon as it comes through and makes semifinals of Wimbledon, comes back, goes to Stanford, and he wins the NCAAs at the University of Georgia, beating John Sadry 7-6-7-6-5-7-7-6. Sadry never lost his serve, but lost that match that day, you know, to, to McEnroe. It was, I was sitting three rows up, Coach J.W. Eisenhower, one of the greatest coaches, mentors, teachers that I've ever known, and how what he did with North Carolina kids, John Sadry, a local North Carolina kid right. became a great champion as well. Tim Wilkinson, just on and on, but there were a lot of great coaches. Okay, so we yeah, I think had Audrey was great. an Australian Open finalist. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But Andy Andrews, John Sadry, and but what J.W. Eisenhower, he was my mentor and the, my role model when I came in as a coach. I don't want to go there, but I was a young coach. He always would lend a hand, help out. He would give me advice on things. And I watched what he did as I tried to emulate other coaches. I knew I couldn't do the promotions and some of the things as well as maybe a Dan McGill. I knew it didn't have the pedigree that a Don Skakel had at North Carolina. I followed J.W. Eisenhower's example. But anyhow, that all being said, we have great history. In the 1980s, I wanted to let you know that we had 40 I think it was 40, I think it was 1986, I was doing a lot of work that time, just traveling and everything, but 40 USA, USA-born collegiate players, former collegiate players are in the top 100. 40, all right? Now, you fast forward, we, at that time too, I think it was 88, 89, we had 49, 49, uh, 49 uh, professional tennis events, I'm talking about the, you know, the, the, the big events, the big events like your Atlanta and your Cincinnati and things, Indianapolis right. and the Philadelphia and all over. And we had a satellite system also, Pete, where kids could go in the summertime and they played this wonderful satellite system. You'd have 200 kids the first day of the satellites. And then, but in three weeks, it was whittled down to about 40. And then it would, you had the Masters. And this was an entry level that all the college kids would go play. It was fantastic. Brian Shelton was out there. Kent Kinnear was out there. Kenny Thorne was out there. You know, so many, so many players got their starts through that satellite system. But the whole, the whole infrastructure was, was geared for you to go to college. That was the necessary step get your training, then you would go to play these satellite events, then you would try to break through, and there was a, there was a thing. We now only have nine, nine tour events in the United States. Nine out of that. The only last we had looked, it is. And Pete, uh, right now we have, let me shout out to Kent Kinnear, 
and uh, you know, and the people down to USTA professional development down there, to the men, uh, all of them, all of them was down there, and all of those players, the people that are doing such a good job, you know, at the USTA with these top players, you know, that that they have the uh, Taylor Fritz and uh, you know all of the players that are come, Tommy Paul and Francis Francis. Tiafo. Now they brought those kids along, and I don't think any of them went to college. Now we do have some former college players in the top 100, but most of them are international. We had uh, just a couple that that have been to American colleges, but college now has been dumbed down. College now is about 80% international. College now we only get 25 matches a year. Baseball gets 64, 64 games. Basketball has over 30. How do you explain that? They play all week long, the middle of the week. College tennis, where we need reps, we need about 50 reps. They only get 25 reps. And last but not least, when Title IX was set up, Pete, it was set up for USA girls, I think. Opportunities for women in USA. Well, now collegiate tennis is primarily international women. Now, that all being said, we have an issue that we have to try to solve in the right way. Nobody is against international players playing. But we've got to do something or we completely have dumbed down, and this is where I want you to address. I'd like for you to address the morale of young players who are coming up at 15, 16, trying to play college tennis, what the, how, what's going on there, what our participation is going on, and uh, what is the future if we don't do something. So go ahead. You're on. Yeah, I, I thank you for the opportunity on this subject because as a coach of young men and women, uh, the first thing I always ask the player and their parents is, what is your goal for your children's tennis and what is your goal for your tennis? And I would say 95% plus the answer is to play in college. And I think, like you said, nothing against international players, but the number of seats that are at the table for kids to play in college is getting taken away by other kids from outside our country. And uh, it's a shame because I don't think it helps the development of this wonderful sport when a child that who's, who's gone all in and their parents have gone all in to try to get their kids to reach their goals, you know, both physically, mentally, uh, financially, uh, and spent so much time in this to get to a spot and then they realize at seven, 16, 17, 18, I'm not going to reach my goal, so they quit tennis. Or they graduate having played tennis from high school, but there's no tomorrow then in the sport for them. And I think it's it's a shame because you know not to not to say I'm a fan of these rating systems, but I'll use it for ease. And I know this is a whole different topic, but if you look at the UTR, a seven and a half UTR to a nine and a half UTR is a very committed, solid tennis player. Maybe not at the level of collegiate tennis that we see today. But shouldn't there be a place for them to play at the next level once they graduate? And, you know, it's hard for them to play when there aren't any seats available anymore. So uh, I think that's the, the big issue is how do we get more seats available or how do we not take as many seats away from these kids so that they can try to fulfill their goals? And uh, as I mentioned and you mentioned, I'm from South Bend, Indiana, not far from Detroit, Michigan. And growing up as a kid, my father was in the auto industry, and we bought American. That was the big thing. I don't know if you remember that. Buy American, buy American, buy American automobiles. Well, I think it'd be nice if we kind of make a, a almost like a pledge to college coaches, buy American. May give our kids a chance to, to play this wonderful sport. And, Chuck, yesterday I had the pleasure of, going down to Athens, Georgia, and watching Georgia and Georgia Tech play in a dual match. And Georgia Tech, for the first time in a long time, was heavy favorites. And all credit to Manny and Jamie Hunt and his crew. They stepped up and they, they beat Tech. 
but boy, what an atmosphere it was. And it was a, for being polite, it was a very spirited crowd and fun to be a part of, win, lose, or draw, even though my, my, son, my son plays for Tech and we have Tech ties. Um, it would be wonderful for these kids to have that opportunity to play for their school. And I just I think that's where we're missing out in tennis is, you know, we're not giving these kids who have given so much opportunity. And, Chuck, I haven't done the research, but maybe you have. What other collegiate sports are made up more of international kids than of uh, American kids? Well, soccer, I would go to soccer. I know earlier in the soccer, it was primarily that before soccer got bigger in the United States. It, I don't know what the numbers are. I bet it's 50-50 now. Golf is changing a lot. Um, you know, golf still, in a, in a, golf has probably in women's golf, you have a huge proponent. I, I know some of the schools that have won recently, you know, they have international players. Now, golf, you've got to remember, is so expensive that uh, a lot of the international teams, you know, a lot of places around the world don't play it. Tennis is, is very expensive, but I'd say those are the only two that rival, but I want to get into what has happened and what transpired there. But I would like you, if you could, could you talk about, you talk about when kids go all in with, um, uh you know, you say all in with the parents and everything at age 14, 15, 16. What does all in look like? And then let's talk about some things that might be able to do. Go ahead. Well, they have, what I mean by all in is this is when these kids have decided, you know, I think it's healthy that kids when they're young play multiple sports. Uh, but at some point these kids are deciding if I want to reach my goal, which is to, then they choose tennis, they drop these other sports. Some not entirely, but most of them now feel that they have to uh, because it's so competitive, because there's so few seats at the table. Um, and so the parents go all in, and they say, okay, you're now a tennis player. And I think that, hey, as a tennis coach and as a uh, tennis fanatic, I think it's phenomenal that tennis is winning these kids over. But what's bad is we're losing, the, we're not retaining these kids when they see that they can't reach their dreams. Um and no matter how much money, how much time on the court, how much effort they give, you know, it's, it's, they're not competing against fellow Americans. They're competing against the world for these, these spots that are collegiate American colleges and universities. And so I think at some point they just lose hope. And I, I see it more and more where kids are they're dropping out of tennis, you know, at 16, 17 years old because that's not going to be their avenue to get them into a school that they want to play for. And so they're now turning their direction to somewhere else. And uh, I think it's a shame because I think you can do both, both academically and uh, athletically. You just have to realize that it's not such a far stretch that it's not just a dream that you can play for your college of choice or the college that uh, a college. And as you know, it's, it's not just D1, it's D2 and D3 and even NAIA uh, schools that are comprised of a lot of international kids. And so these, these American children aren't getting the opportunity to continue on with something that they've obviously chosen to play as, as teenagers. And, uh, you know, it's not good. They're not, we're not selling as many rackets. We're not teaching as many lessons. We're not growing the game in our country. We're, we're actually shrinking the game by, by taking away a, uh, a stage in which these kids can play on. Pete, um, I, I had a program last week on the liabilities of UTR, WTN, rankings every week, and all this thing. And my analogy I used was, if you want, if you want your kids to stick with something, you keep fog on top of the mountain until the kids are too high up to turn back. In other words, a little bit of ignorance to knowing how hard things are is very, very important. It's extremely important when you're young. The dreams stay alive until you lift the fog. Then they have to decide. And the point being is that we have so much information now that we think we have to put it out there all the time, all information, information, information. 
And I am so much against, there, there's so many issues here. Um, all the travel teams, the travel ball. Um, you know, our kids are the commodity when you go to travel ball and all this. Like, my son's in baseball, so you understand there, there's travel ball. I'm trying to think in Atlanta, we were there and playing a tournament, and they had something like 200 teams in the same tournament. You know, and these are kids from all over the place, and they're all they're all playing travel ball. They're all playing at different sites, and it's I hate to say it's it's a money grab, but you almost have to do this. You have to be in the machinery. Now, what we've done with the USTA, and I look, there's so many good people that work there, but with the biggest mistake we've made is we've done top-down management. In other words, we doing like a socialist management. I hate to say I don't want to get political here, but you're, they're managing and they're calling all the shots for the for the regions, the states, the local tennis, and everything. And that does not inspire anyone. Grassroots means bottom up, not top down. We've killed the Peachtree tournament and the 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 absolute. Uh, the notoriety and greatness of the, the heritage and history and heritage. We've killed the best tournament in the state of South Carolina for years, Pete, was Belton uh, in a little town yeah. in, north, in the north part of the state. If you asked any kid in South Carolina, would you rather win Belton or be number one in the state? I'd say, oh, win Belton. I could be a Belton champion. Kalamazoo, if we move it from Kalamazoo, they're talking about moving it down to Florida. If they do that, they uh, absolutely is the worst tragedy. Because if you ask any kid in the United States, would you rather win Kalamazoo or be number one in the United States? Same answer, Pete. If you, would you rather be number one in the world or win Wimbledon? Okay, what if what if they took Wimbledon and they said, no, no, we're going to move it to Las Vegas because we've got better chance for marketing here. So we're doing a lot of just not smart things. I don't want to say stupid, but it's not smart. We, we, we've got people making decisions as marketing people and things like that. So, okay, so our issue is international students. I want to go back there. International students, God bless you. Thank you for the contributions you make. We hope you'll come here and contribute to the everything, the community and everything. But tennis, tennis is, look, football is a, a, national, a national audience. Basketball is a regional audience. Baseball probably has audience within 100 miles. Tennis and golf and anything that is a minor sport, sorry, non-revenue, Olympic, whatever you want to call it, anything is a minor sport, big sport for us, but minor sports on a whole scope of things, you have a local audience of, of maybe parents, alumni or people that are in the area okay so you know that's that's the point being is that if if these young people are helping out the immediate area in the school and things and then they're great alumni heck yes we want them in 1982 I can remember asking my athletic director Clemson uh, he took us all to lunch one day. I said, look, I, you know, with uh, Title IX stuff and everything, and they're doubling the size of the athletic department with women's athletics. And thank goodness for my two daughters. Who one, you, both of them are in athletics. And everybody out there, daughters get to play. That's wonderful. But I said, are we they going to drop tennis? Where can the money come from? He said, look, they'll listen, Pete. He said, they'll never drop tennis. And I said, why? He said, well, you get the most visibility for the least amount of money, and every every one of the graduates are going to be doctors and lawyers and people that will be influential in the community, so they will never drop tennis. Pete, it's different, though. Now there's probably five, there's over 500 teams have been dropped, over 500 teams, and primarily oh, it's because there's not an association between a lot of the athletes and the community. And, and that's really, really an important point there that we need to make. So what, and I, I think that people listening out there, please listen on and, and understand, we want a workable situation. So I'm going to throw two things out there, and I'll see what you have to say, Pete. Okay, we okay. cannot, at, at one time, <clears throat> Pete, there, uh, in junior college, they had a two-international student uh, rule because if you go to play soccer in Germany or on the Bundesliga tennis in Germany or somewhere or want to play soccer 
in any of these countries, they always have a two-limit, two two-player limit to international students, 20%. And they had that in junior college for years. At the meetings we would have with the ITA and stuff, the, the leader got up there and said, oh, my gosh, we could be lost. There could be a lawsuit. There could be a lawsuit. So everybody was afraid of that. But that window is closed now because we have many, many international coaches that have played probably 30%, 40% of our college coaches are international coaches doing a nice job, contributing. But, Pete, it's, it's now it's to the place where if you have 80% of the uh, international students that are competing, you know, that you, you're not going to outlaw something. So here's my idea. Incentivize, number one. I asked the USTA, let's make an all-American, all-American team, first of all. Now, our all-American team is probably, I haven't looked at it, but I would guess it's more than 60% international students, all-American Yeah, team. I would uh, think you're correct. It's like, just like Kodak made an all-American team, USTA can make USTA all-American, all-American team. Okay. Secondly, why doesn't the USTA, they have a lot of money. I think they make lots and lots of money. They, you know, but I, why don't they give up a million dollars and give $200,000 to five coaches or $100,000 to 10 coaches who do the best job in the country uh, recruiting and training American players? You know, and you'd one have to, it's, no, nobody's prejudiced against, but you're doing a great job with development or just call it developmental developmental excellence you know for American youth and, and then if I got to make a difference between my recruiting one player or another I'm going to say well wait a minute I, I sort of like maybe trying to do this thirdly we need to get the pressure off of the coaches Pete you know about winning 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 I, I, never before have more coaches been let go over losing tennis teams and things like that and I, I don't get it I don't get it if they're not bringing money in and things you know so what are your thoughts Pete well I, I love the all-american all-american and it kind of goes uh, to what my next phrase is let's make our national championship a true national championship let's let you know our teams that are competing for whether it's division one two three or whatever be comprised of Americans. Let's make it a national championship, uh, like we do in football. We have very few internationals in football, maybe a punter or kicker here and there, but it's primarily made up of whether any of those divisions, one, two, three, or NAIA, is made up of Americans. Um, so let's make it a national championship, truly a national championship. I agree that this isn't an easy fix. Um, you know, the, the, the old, the, the cat is out of the bag type thing, and how do you get it back in the bag? Um, I think what we need to do is put a quota. And I don't know what percentage that is, but I love the idea of a quota because let's say, for example, it's 20%, and you have uh, 10 kids on your team. That means two of them can be international. But let's say then you found this young man from Europe that you really want. He'd be a great part of the team. He's a nice young man. He's going to help us win. I want to add him. Well, in order to do that, you've got to add more spots to keep your quota at 20%, which only develops and brings on more spots for American tennis players. So we're not saying we're going to limit the number of international kids you have on your team you're dealing with a percentage. So you bring one on, you got to add another spot for an American. And I think that grows these, these teams. It grows the excitement for these kids that, hey, I, there is a shot I could be playing college for my school someday. And, uh, I mean, I don't think you can do away with not having international kids, and I don't think that's what no, we're no, looking you, for. You don't want to. Sorry for jumping in there. You, you don't want to. To clarify something, though, too, we're talking, folks, about not about scholarship money. Men only get four and a half scholarship. Women get eight. Okay, it's part of the gender equity thing. Okay, we get it. We get it. Football is in the equation when you talk about gender equity. In other words, the school I was at before at 52% men, 48% women, you have to have a breakdown of 52% scholarships for men, 48 women, but football is in that equation, which is, I think, 90 scholarships or something. So it's, it's 
top loaded in all of the minor sports, I'll call them minor sports, they take a hit. For example, I'm sure men's basketball compared to women's basketball, men's tennis versus women's tennis, men's golf versus women. We've only since 1977 had four and a half scholarships. Women always have had eight. Now, that being said, the point is it's not about scholarship aid. It's about numbers Correct. now. Pete, Pete, at the school I was at before, what really, really burned my crawl was I knew you had to train players. You can't recruit a championship team. I had as many as 25 players on the team at one time. I had three teams. I had three schedules, training a lot of players. I had three All-Americans that started out as low as 14, on, 14 or 15 on the team. Now, as a freshman, boys develop later. However, they cut us to where we could only have 10 males on the team because women only had 10. And, and, and so the point is we're talking about spots on the team. If you, every, team every team is balanced by how, what their student body quota is. In other words, if University of Georgia, I don't know what it is there in Georgia, but if Georgia has 60% men, they can only have, they get 60% of, the, of all the scholarships places on the team. And I used to argue with people, opportunities to compete is not the same as bodies in the seat. You have to have opportunities to, to compete. So that's, that's a tough one right there. You know, as far as quotas and stuff, it's tough. And people, <clears throat> that, would be a, that's the, that would be the easiest way to do it. But, you know, that, that's a tough one, Pete. You know, we need to we need to create opportunities for young people. I don't I don't know. Uh, again, we need more seats at the table, right? That that's what we're after. That's exactly right. And and uh, you know, yes, it's certainly not about scholarships because, as you said, there's only four and a half scholarships uh, for a men's tennis team uh, in D1. And so, how do you how do you work around that? You have more non-scholarship players. You have more walk-ons. You have, right. That's how you create seats at the table. Is, is that not true? That, that's correct. That's correct. We just and need so, walk-ons. I don't, because think, I don't think the kids that I coach, for example, coach, I don't think the kids that, that I've been around are necessarily, their parents are necessarily looking for a scholarship. These kids just want to play and be a part of the team and, and work their way into a scholarship. You, there are so many times I hear like a, a kicker for a collegiate team is non-scholarship. He, he makes a, has a great year, makes a big field goal, and next thing you know, they reward him with a scholarship. I mean, correct, let them earn correct. their scholarship, but they, they can't earn it if they're not even allowed to step on the correct. playing field. And, and, and I, look, that is, you brought up a great, great solution that we need to address, and any administrators listening out there, something. It's not about scholarships. It's about opportunities to be on a team. Now, there is a difference between Division One, Division Two, and Division Threes. Division One has a quota. Pete, and, and, and let's we're going to jump over here a little bit and talk a little bit about the NIL and the transfer portal here, second, which is dangerous territory too. But I think if we, we need to give some logical solutions. But Division One in Division One they have a number they have a number restriction that happens. For example, in baseball, I don't know what it is, but in a lot of instances, a baseball team in college will bring in maybe 25 recruits. Well, after the first semester, they cut maybe 10 of them. They just cut them because they have a quota system. Now, Division Two does not do this, Pete, because they need, they absolutely uh, need the resources, and they're not, and I don't know why that Division One does not allow more, you know, whether it's money or whatever, and, and, uh, and I don't know about Division Three. Or NAIA, but basically, kids need opportunities to compete. That's that's all. You know, boys. You know, with the sophisticated recruiting right now, you know, boys are late bloomers. Boys, I always said in tennis, Pete, uh, that boys. I don't know if you can hear me. I got a lot of background noise. Do you hear me? Okay. 
Yeah, I can hear. I can hear you fine. Okay. Yeah. Uh, boys. <clears throat> the thing with boys is that they develop between eight, ages 18 and 25. They. I don't think anyone will argue with that. Young ladies will develop probably between ages 14 to 19, uh, a little bit earlier than boys will. You know. So uh, there, there's an issue there, but. One of the issues, okay, so we're talking ways to solve this. We're talking maybe USTA, All-American, All-American team, maybe USTA do incentives. Maybe our administrators getting together and talking about the difference between opportunities to compete, opportunities to compete, you know, not necessarily scholarship money. And, and uh you know, that, that would be a big asset, I think, because a lot of parents, you know, again, and then kids can get cut and coaches can do what they want to do as far as what size of a team they want to have. But that that is a big quagmire there. So anything left, left that I want to talk a little bit about this NIL and transfer portal thing. <clears throat> Any other ideas? Well, I, uh, I just – Harking back to my experience in college tennis, and that was uh, when I was recruited, and I uh, went as a freshman to Miami University with Coach Frederick. I remember he held a walk-on tournament, and there might have been 30 kids that showed up, 32 kids that showed up and played in the walk-on tournament. And the person who won the walk-on tournament had an opportunity then not to take a spot off of a uh, a varsity player, but to earn a spot in addition to those varsity players. And it was a tremendous thing because it gave everybody at least something to, to compete in and to play uh, and earn the right. And if they didn't make it one year, I remember there was one guy who came back three years in a row and he finally made it. And, yeah. I mean, isn't that what we want to encourage? We want to encourage yes. people to continue. And, he, and then he ended up playing matches and did very well for our school. Uh, we want to encourage people to continue to play this sport and try to Correct. to work harder and harder and harder <clears throat> to make it. I'm not I'm not ever going to advocate. Let's give something for nothing. I don't think that's you've got to earn your right. No. Uh, there is as my dad used to say, "There's no free lunch." But when you don't even have an opportunity, when there's no glimmer of hope, then there's no reason for them to even try. Absolutely. In today's world, I don't think uh, a Rudy scenario would ever be possible, and that's that's sad. I agree. Uh, what a shame! What a shame, huh? What we have ex- made an exclamation point over talent, talent, talent. Everybody out there, look. It's three things: it's nature, nurture, self. It's ability, opportunities, and desire. Those three things. Nature, nurture, and self. We are going all the way in now with talent, talent, talent. We're even marking it when the kids are young, 12 or 14 or 16 or 18. They talent, talent. And we're looking at that. Everything's become more than skill that is learned through hard sweat. We're looking at athleticism over skill set. Don't get me started on basketball, how much I just detest what I see now with basketball being so much athleticism and and instead of the old old skill set you used to watch in Indiana basketball or you know yep. I'm not saying Indiana you know, but anyhow uh, but all of our sports have gone towards athleticism but again uh, Larry, folks, Bird, Larry Bird wouldn't be Larry Bird. Larry Bird wouldn't be Larry Bird. Nobody would have recruited him. They would have done the analytics on him at a young age and said, kid, you can't jump well enough. Yeah, you got a pretty good shot. You know, but kid, you can't jump. But the intangibles, of course, what lead us to sports or anything is there's three things. God-given ability, opportunities that parents, coaches, and teachers can provide and situations can provide. But then it's self, and don't we want to, folks, don't we want to hail and celebrate guts and work and hard determination, perspiration, you know, and, and, you know, uh, just all those things, aren't those the things we want, you know, and we're, we're just really sabotaging ourselves. Okay, Pete, 
Let's go here real quick to the NIL and the transfer portal. Just quick thoughts on that because I do want to talk just a quick because that is quickly becoming part of tennis as well. we got about ten minutes here. So what are your thoughts on what's going on in college athletics? Boy, it's a mess, it looks like to me. And uh, they look I, like they're I trying to get the handle on it. Okay, talk I about that. Why? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I think it's uh, there's a reason. Hello. Right. Gender, gender yeah. equity. Well, yeah. what happens when you get a alumni that's very well to do, who is a tennis fanatic, and he donates a lot of money to that men's program? Uh, does that not now allow these people to buy their players to become superpowers, so to speak. So I think it becomes an arms race more than it does a development race. And, uh, I mean, look, at I, I can't speak to tennis as much because it's not like it is in football. But, I mean, you've got kids that are committing to one school and then getting a better offer at another school uh, two months down the line, and that better offer is all financial. Uh, I mean, is that what we really want to breed in in our society is, you know, no commitment is a commitment that you have to honor. Um, I, I just, I think the only reason you should transfer is it just doesn't turn out to be the program that you love or you couldn't handle the cold if you went up north from the south uh, or you couldn't handle the academics, whatever it might be, uh, or the coach left and went somewhere else which is becoming very popular now, too. Uh, so I'm going to leave and follow the coach. But I think what's happening is we're just kind of got a revolving door going on now, and there's no – if it's not losing speed, it's speeding up. And there's no slowing it down. Uh, it's become business. This is all about business, and I think it's a, a tragedy because this is amateur sports we're talking about. Well – Pete, I mean, you're you're right on the money here, and you know, from my point of view, I look at this, you know, and uh, getting a little bit familiar with the baseball thing, uh, you know, it's interesting. There are apparently 4,700 kids in the transfer portal in baseball. The pecking order, perhaps in baseball or football or anything now, is transfers first, junior college second, high school seniors third. Okay, so you know where I'm going with this. Okay, yeah, so terrible. you know the what they say the toothpaste is out of the tube already or whatever they want to say. You know, uh, uh, there's no way to slow this down. Although this is really something I was thinking about about the transfer portal. Um, you're not going to change this if you listen to sports talk shows. Uh, as much as you were against seeing somebody have you know, maybe go to five different schools or four different schools or three different schools because where are you alumni of? Well, here you want to see my four class rings from four different, you know, I mean, in the, the what's going to happen, we all know that the loyalty to the school from, from the fans' part of you, you know, are we going to come in and say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, who's this guy playing now, this new guy? Oh, oh, he showed up, and he's, okay, well, he's then gone through. Well, I'm going to lose interest in that. And pretty soon are we going to be looking at college sort of like minor league baseball or something like that? Well, it's okay to go watch, but do you really know any of the players? They shift around all the time. I think they're trying to get a handle on that. But I've always wondered with this transfer portal, Pete, they did the transfer portal before they recruited high school seniors this last year, didn't they? Why don't... Why didn't why don't they wait with the transfer portal till May first or April first or something like that? Why why don't they do that? And then the coaches would recruit all their high school kids, and then they would say, okay, uh, we didn't get a good off you know uh, offensive, we didn't get a good enough uh, basketball player, tennis player here. Um, let's go to the transfer portal. It opens up May 1st or April 15th, and look, we've already recruited all the high school kids. 
let's go find this. In, in the meantime, the kid is thinking, I got to transfer for a very good reason. Most people don't understand. If they're not picked up, they're out in the cold. They're out in the cold. You know, they're taking a big, big risk. You know, and, and the point being is that we could manage that very, very easily if we would maybe change that part of it around. You know, but it is in tennis, in the sport of tennis, I think they're going to go this way. Uh, we played a team, Pete, the year before last that had six transfers on it. And, and, oh, my goodness. You know, and the players are really good, but I go, whoa. This is interesting. Okay, players are sort of in and out here. And so as a coach, you're trying to, I hold, you know, uh, some of the football coaches I really admire are the ones that are trying to hold their gun, and people are saying, oh, no, my golly, this is a different age. Well, really, do you have to jump off a cliff because everybody else is too? You know, they. what I've, what I've always said about it is that it's sort of like the, the tragedy is it takes five years to build a program. I don't care, tennis program, football program, basketball. It takes about five years of doing everything right and getting the culture right. Well, if you use the transfer portal primarily, you get it in one year. You get an elevator, right? <laughs> you get an elevator right. to That's be right. that level. However, when you fall, I think you fall down the elevator shaft. You know, that's the problem. When you do one step at a time and do it through hard work, well, what happens is when you fall, you fall back one step. But, you know, building slowly and surely is still what we want to teach our youngsters, what we want coaches to do, and it, it puts some logic in it. So we'll see what happens there. Pete, real quick, i got through about three or four more minutes here. Anyhow, we're okay. covering a lot. Gosh, what, what a lot of information. My head's spinning here. So I'm tired. I'm going to have to take a nap after this one, Pete. All right. <laughs> well, I want to talk to you about this no-ad scoring and abbreviated scoring. And, and just a quick heads up, tell me what your thoughts are. And look, some of my best friends in coaching like no-ad scoring, and I have always detested it. But that would never hurt our friendship if you have a different opinion. Throw throw out what your thoughts are there. Well, um, it's a loaded question because uh, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth quickly. One is I have children that aren't blessed with height. They're 5'8", 5'9", 5'10". They're not 6'4", 6'5". So as a consequence, they don't have the big weapon in tennis known as the serve, which is the primary stroke in, in, in the sport. As, as I, I've always said, who's a better all-around tennis player? John Isner, who had a phenomenal career and is a great man, or Diego Schwartzman, who didn't possess uh, the serve of uh, John Isner because he was uh, limited in height. So I've always told my own boys, especially my one currently playing for Georgia Tech, rope-a-dope your opponent. Tennis doesn't have a clock. Make it a five-hour match if you have to. Wear him down. You're not going to outpower a six-foot-five guy, but you maybe outlast him. And that's the beauty of the sport. However, having kids go to a school like a Georgia Tech, which is very demanding academically as well, they can't afford five-hour matches, or else their student or their schooling suffers a little bit. So I do understand why NOAD is there. Uh, it is to li- literally keep the uh, students from being on court all the time because they are still students. At least it, that's my opinion. So I do get it. I love the spirit of a five-hour match. I love watching Michael Chang cramping up and still finding a way to win in the semifinal against Linda with the French. I love all that. That's being a warrior. But I also understand that less than 1% of these kids that are playing college tennis are going to be professional tennis players that make a living. So we have to be cognizant of that, if that makes sense. It it makes all the sense in the world. And I hear that, and I believe completely, as you did probably for the first two years I was ever exposed to it. But I wanted to ask you a question here. Do you really think that this was instituted in so animately or vehemently or what, whatever so passionately instituted by the people it did 
uh, to save time and to draw fans in? Yeah, I think I think it's to draw fans in because uh, there is no question that uh, a three all point, a deuce point, uh, in a college match when it's four all in the in the set, whether it's first, second, or third set, isn't exciting. It gets everybody's attention. Um, but you know, to that point, I, so is a five hour match that's been you've been watching these two people beat each other up. So I don't know if it's to draw fans in because. As you said, with college tennis earlier, we're not drawing from a very big national or regional audience. We're drawing from a uh, an audience that is basically got some connection to the school. Uh, so I think it's not going to hurt tennis one way or the other as far as a, 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 a spectatorship as much as it is going to maybe not be in the best interest of the kids because of the time that they're on the court. Uh you know, they limit the amount of time they can practice, the NCAA does. I think maybe they've got to sit there and, and maybe their their conclusion was we got to limit the amount of time that are actually playing a dual match, too, because, uh, you know, as you know, you, you don't just walk, show up for a 2 o'clock match at one thirty. You show up and you practice in the morning. You get something to eat. It takes up your entire day anyway. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I, I I played college tennis, and when I got to college tennis, there was already no ad. So I don't, I don't really remember the non-NOAD days, to be honest with you. Yeah, we, we had them for about 10 years as it was um, about late 80s. Uh, well, first of all, during the 80s, very quickly here, people got to play as much as they needed to. So you played a mixture of NOAD, but regular scoring all the rest of the time. So we just thought, okay, this is sort of a, you know, a little – thing that you have to do and for 10 years they didn't do it and they forced it back through about <clears throat> about uh 2010 or so or, or you know and but the bottom line on this is that there's no way in the world i believe these people would have fought so hard for something like no ad for 145 years we have had a scoring system and if you use no ad for scoring system maybe you need an asterisk for a, you know, like wind-aided 100-yard dash or something, because it's not the same. You know, uh, the drama drama intensifies with each denial. Excitement dwindles with each occurrence. In other words, you know, uh, the drama is what has been tremendous. Anyhow, with the fans and things, but I'm going to throw this out there and leave this on everybody's mind. Watch the clip from 60 Minutes last Sunday on gambling and sports and it's about a 15 section on gambling addiction and how much the gambling industry is involved now since 2018 with collegiate sports as well and things I'm just saying watch that determine your own mind and then the question is this does randomness pay the house more than consistency of outcome do they really want nadal to win 11 straight french open titles tennis is the most fair sport there is based on hard work better skill sets and and doing the right things at the right time on the court perseverance with what we have now the scoring system is more important than learning a backhand sometimes, more important than being in great shape, more important than different things. I'm going to leave it at that. That's a whole different topic. We'll come up and talk about that sometime in the future, and I, I uh, don't want to go out on the edge there too much. Pete Bauer. <laughs> We're going to have to get together when I get down to Atlanta sometime. This has been really, really Absolutely, fun, man. Coach. I, I would love that. I'm going to throw one yeah. more word in for you, or one yes, more sir. thing. Do away with the 10-point tiebreaker. You ain't a kid, Pete. Pete, let me ask you this. Why do we play no ad, which are seven-point tiebreakers every game, and then at a tiebreaker you got to win by two? Okay, why? Why win by two at a tiebreaker? Okay, why do you do the old nine-point tiebreaker? No, no, think about it. Hey, sudden death, isn't that more exciting? No, because oh, sure. it's more. it's more fair. You got to win by two because it's more fair and it's consistent. Well, how, coach, okay, with Sinner, Coach Hook, Sinner, and Sinner, and the Dagon guy in the finals, uh, the Russian guy, what, 
heck, I'm thinking it's missing his name here. Medvedev. But sin- yeah, Medvedev. Hey, dude, 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 the, the drama of the 44-point rally when he was trying to get final momentum there would, if they had just played two sets, no ad, uh, Medvedev would have won that uh, Australian Open title, no sweat. But my golly, last, Pete, i got to tell you this. I remember getting great confidence out of winning 20-18 in the third set in the high school match in Indiana one time. Okay, I remember every... Every time you beat somebody 7-5 in the third, you made a big, big breakthrough. When you win a tiebreaker for the third, it's like kissing Aunt Sally. It's really not a kiss. you know. And well, when you lose, Pete, last I'd say, when you lose it, it doesn't hurt enough. When you lose 7-5 in the third, you either put your racket away and say, I don't know if I'm going to play this sport anymore, or you go back to the court and you practice more. When you lose it, kids now are saying, oh, I lost the tiebreaker for the third. Go ahead, real quick. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I I don't understand the logic behind it. If you play two sets, how can a third set tiebreaker be equivalent to that? They both they all carry no, the same not. weight. Why not Why not just play three tiebreakers and you can have a thousand person draws? Hey, Pete, Pete, no, right. here I do a ice at practice. I do an icebreaker. Play the tiebreaker the first set, and you always have the better player win. In other words, if you were playing and I win a tiebreaker the first set, you'll never lose the next two sets with me, okay? But, you know, the better player wins. If we count it as a full set, right now the tiebreaker for the third set is like wrestling for five rounds and said, okay, guys, now we're going to box for 30 seconds. You know, it, it, right, it's I just agree. absurd. It, it's illogical. It's, it's absurd. It's illogical. Holy cow, we got got to have you back on, and let's brainstorm some more. But, folks, that, that is about it. Hey, Pete Bauer, thank you. God bless you, and let's do this again soon. Okay? Thanks, Coach. Okay. I look forward to seeing you. Okay. Pete Bauer, folks, and we're just very, very grateful there. I had to cut him off. Pete, I'm sorry there. I cut you off just a little bit too soon there. But i got to close uh, close it up. And uh, I wanted to remind you that you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss. This is Coach Chuck Reese in American Tennis.